Amen. If you turn your Bibles, please, to the book of Luke, the book of Luke, chapter 11, beginning with verse number uh, 14 uh, this morning. One of the things that you'll notice when uh, Jesus, especially in his early ministries, about how popular he was. We think about the crowds and all the people who uh, followed Jesus, and they loved him because of uh, all the great miracles and all the great things that he did, and uh, a lot of his uh, teachings and how he spoke about something different than what the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law uh, were teaching. But uh, now as Jesus is drawing his way towards uh, Jerusalem, we're going to experience some of the, uh, the pushback and some of the hesitation that was beginning to form in, uh, in people's hearts and lives. And, because, and the reason why this was doing is because everybody loved Jesus as long as Jesus was who they thought he was. As long as they got to determine who Jesus was and what the standards of following him were, they were fine with Jesus. But Jesus was beginning to make some statements that were making people question themselves. They were making statements that uh, he was the Son of God and about how he was the only way to enter into the kingdom. And as Jesus begins to speak more specifically about himself, he begins to push people into a place to make a decision because Jesus was saying that he was somebody and that he was a certain thing, and they had to make that decision in their life. And a lot of people in Jesus' time didn't want to do that, and we are going to see that. But I want us most of all to see us see that in our hearts, in our lives this morning, about how Jesus is popular in our culture. Jesus is popular in our hearts and our lives as long as we can make him out to be who we want him to be, as long as he is a, is a healer, as long as he is someone who provides stuff for us, as long as he uh, uh, insists and was willing to follow along with all the other gods and all the uh, other ways of, of, of being. We're okay with that. As long as Jesus just comes as a teacher of morality, we're okay with that. But Jesus asserts himself to be something. He asserts himself to be the Son of God. He asserts himself to be as the only way in order for us to get to heaven. And a lot of times in our culture, we can't handle that. But sadly enough, even in our own hearts and lives, we don't accept that. The Jesus who doesn't accept being who we want him to be, but the Jesus that demands on being who he is. So let's read these verses this morning, and let's learn in our hearts and our lives that we decide that we're going to follow Jesus and that we're going to make that decision. As we read in the book of Luke chapter 11, beginning with verse number 14 this morning, it says, Now while he was casting out a demon that was mute, when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, Others, um, while others to test him kept seeking for him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan is divided against himself, he will, uh, his kingdom will not stand. For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Then a strong man is fully armed, guards his own palace. His goods are safe, 
But when the strong one, but when one stronger than him attacks him and overtakes him and takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil, whoever is not whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone into a person, it passes through watery places seeking rest. And finding none, he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the least state of that person is worse than the first. And he said these things, and he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb to whom you and the breast to which you nursed. And he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word and hear the word of God and keep it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for sending your son to walk upon this face on the, on the face of this earth. Lord, and he did many miraculous things while he was here upon this earth. But Lord, we know the greatest thing that he did. Lord, as he came as the Son of God, sent from God, fully human and fully man, dying on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins, and raising the dead, giving us victory over life, establishing the only way to which we can come to heaven. Let us in our hearts this morning accept Jesus for who he truly is. Let us decide in our hearts that we will follow you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We see this uh, getting, uh, getting, uh, getting closer as we moving as Jesus starts moving to the cross. And he speaks of a time to which he was in the midst of uh, casting out demons. And he cast out this demon who uh, was a mute spirit. In other words, it, uh, it uh, made the person to whom it entered in not be able to speak. Uh, in other uh, uh, Places where this story is told there in Matthew, he's identified as a mute and blind spirit. But here in Luke, only a, a mute spirit. And as Jesus is doing these signs, people are beginning to ask and people are making assertions about who Jesus is. You know, some people are saying this, some people are saying that. Remember when Jesus uh, asked his disciples what other people were saying about him? Well, some were saying uh, Elijah, some were saying Jeremiah, some were saying some of the prophets, John the Baptist come back. People were starting to say lots of things about Jesus. And as they were thinking, as they were seeing these signs, and some people were starting to put two and two together that said, maybe this truly is the Messiah. And so what they would do is they would go back to, uh, to their, their preachers. They would go back to the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the leaders of the synagogues, and the people to whom they trust for religious information and say, well, what do you think about this Jesus? How do you explain these miracles that they are doing? Now, by this time, these Pharisees had become like a lot of people we encounter in our life. You know, do you ever, have you ever had somebody in your life that just hated you? That just absolutely hate you? Or maybe you know somebody in your life, maybe you want to do a little confession this morning saying there's some people in my life that I just absolutely hated. And you know how you can tell when you absolutely hate somebody? When they can absolutely do nothing right. 
You know, can you just imagine these people in your life that regardless of whatever you do, they have something bad to say about it. If you do something bad, they're going to talk about that. If you do something good, they're going to say you had the wrong motivations or you're just doing that to be seen. When people get to a point where they just absolutely cannot stand you, you can't do anything right. And that's the point to where these Pharisees had done got with Jesus. They decided they're just that, you know, that, that, that they just don't like them. And since they just don't like him, they want to have any opportunity to discredit him. And so here, these, uh, these demons have been cast out and people have gotten, gotten healed. And they go to ask these, uh, these religious leaders, man, man, how is he doing this? Tell us something about Jesus. And they say, well, you know, he's only able to do this under the power of Beelzebub. Now, Beelzebub, now you can recognize that word Baal. And that really is the root word here that brings us back into the Old Testament, into the Canaanite gods of of Baal, who is really the primary god to which you would encounter. And it's from that that, you know, the... uh, the, the Israelites there in the kingdom would prostitute themselves. They would stop following God and start following the Baals. And it came on and it came on to the meaning to where that this Baal was thought about them in the name of Beelzebub, which we read in, uh, in 2 Kings, began to know synonymous as really Satan himself. And it was really the power of sorcery, the power of magic. And if you're using the sorcery, and if you're using that magic, you're doing it by on the, uh, on the authority of this Beelzebub. And it came on to know that he was known as the prince of demons. And later to known sort of as a synonym for Satan. And so basically the Pharisees are saying this person is doing this by the work of Satan. And so that was their accusation. Satan must be the one that is empowering these things. And that was their accusation. And Jesus, as Luke says again, knowing their thoughts. Well, I always need to remember how that scary that is. That Jesus knows our thoughts. Began to answer his comment. And he wants to tell us a few things in his reply to them that I want to pay very close attention attention to. First thing he wants us to allude us to is that there is a war going on. There is a conflict going on. I'm not talking about Israel. I'm not talking about Ukraine. I'm not talking about gang wars in New York. I'm talking about there is a war between two great powers going on. And he uses this metaphor. He says, you know what? There is a struggle There is a division. There is a war going on between two kingdoms and two houses. So he's thinking about a national struggle. And he's also thinking about a family struggle. There is a conflict that is going on. And he wants us to be aware of that. And in this conflict that's going on, he wants to let us to know that there are only two sides. There are only two sides. Listen to what he says uh, as he responds to them. He says, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. If Satan is divided by himself, how will his kingdom stand? For if you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, let them be your judges. Notice how he sets this up. 
If you're saying that I'm on Beelzebub's side, and you have said rightly that there is a conflict. There is God, and there is Beelzebub. There's God, and there is Satan. And they're the only two sides that there are. And they are in constant conflict, but you assert that I am on Satan's side. And I want you to understand how one of my commentaries said this, their stupidity. Let me tell you about the stupidity of your argument. If you say that I am for Satan, but yet I'm casting out Satan's spirit. How is that kingdom going to stand? And he says, a kingdom divided by itself cannot stand. And so in other words, if uh, I'm representing Satan and I'm casting out Satan, what good is that? He says, but I said, and he says, now look, if you say that I'm using the authority of Satan to cast out this demon, then he asks, then who, by what power do your sons and they mean this term sons, not necessarily in, uh, as being related to them, but they're disciples. And there are a lot of these exorcists of, uh, of the Jews that would come out, and they would practice this, uh, this art of casting out demons. He says, well, if I do this by Beelzebub, since I know Satan's not going to cast out demons or cast out himself, then by what authority, by what authority did your sons do it? In other words, if I cast out Satan uh, in the name of Satan, then that's who your disciples cast out in the name of Satan. So we know that's not true. But listen to what he says this. But, but, if it is by the hand of God that I've done this, then the kingdom of God has become for you. See, they were trying to set Jesus in a trap. Now he set them in a trap. So you're not going to say that your son's cast out by Beelzebub, but if I do it then, and by the finger of the hand of God. Now, this is a reference to, uh, to the Exodus. And remember when uh, God started doing the plagues in the Exodus, you know, those first three, you know, Moses would do uh, his little plague, but then they would summon those magicians, those people of Beelzebub. And uh, they would come and they would try to duplicate the same miracle, the same plague. And we know for the first three, they were able to hang in there. But we get to, uh, to plague number four, and they can't hang no more. They can't do that. Their power has come to an end. And those magicians said, but we can't do this because this has been done by the finger of God. And so it said, if I'm not doing this by the power of Satan then I must be doing it by the power of God. And if I'm doing this by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has come among you. He's forcing them to make a decision. The miracles that were Jesus was doing weren't just nice little shows, but the miracles that he was doing and the level to which he was doing it and the way that he was doing was making himself a distinction from everyone else. He was asserting that he was actually coming from God. He was asserting in himself that he was the Messiah. And so he's saying in this conflict, there are two sides. There are the side of God, and then there's the side of Beelzebub. And you have to pick which side that you're on. 
He said, but before you make your decision, I want you to remember this one thing. And listen to what he says. He said, the master of his house. And that's one of the translations from Beelzebub. One of its literal meanings is master of the house. He said, you know what? The, uh, the strong man of the house or the master of his house, you know, was able with his weapons to guard over his house. And as long as he is able to guard over his house, then the possessions and the things that were in there are safe. But if one who is stronger than him comes in and binds him in the armor to which he trusted, he takes and he divides the spoil. Jesus says, you know what? There's a war going on. There's only two sides to it. There's good and there's evil. There's Satan and there's God. And if I truly have represent God in who I am, understand this, that I have obtained the victory over Satan. I'm the one who is more powerful. You know, Satan used to kind of run things here upon this earth. He thought he was in charge, and he thinks that he could just do whatever he wants to do. But I came, and through my work here upon this earth, and for my victory that came over the cross and through the power of the resurrection, I have bound the power of Satan. And I take the spoils. And who are the spoils? The spoils were the ones of the souls that he thought that he had claim to. See, Satan had a claim over our souls because we were sinners. And because we were sinners and lost at our sins and without hope and without help, we were destined, we were destined to be with Satan there in hell. But through the power of Jesus Christ, he gave us victory over that. And he snatched us away from the, of the devil. And he took us to a place where Satan can't get us no more. We are free. And so he lays the fact of the reality that there's a battle going on. He lays the reality that there's really only two sides. And he lays the fact to the reality what side has won and what side has the victory. Then he says, you know what, pick your side. He says, those who aren't for me are against me. And those who don't gather are scattering. You ever heard it said, you know, you're either part of the solution or you're part of the problem. He doesn't give us like the neutrality. He's saying, you know what, there's some people who are for me and then there are some people who are against me and then there's just sort of some people there in the middle. Jesus wants to know this morning that there is no middle. You're either for me or against me. You are working to advance my kingdom or you're working to bring down my kingdom. Now, that's a reality that's hard for us to see while we're here on this earth because there just seems to be so many middle grounds. You know, you're not going to walk up to many people who would honestly say that I worship Satan. I'm on Satan's side. But we do have these very other areas that think they're gray. We have all these other religions. We have the Islam. We have the Buddhists. We have the, the uh, people of uh, Jewish descent who don't believe in Jesus Christ. We have all these people who just think they're moral and we're good enough. And they, they think they're, that they're middle ground. But in reality, you could all bundle them into one section that they are of the power of Beelzebub. They are all of the power of Satan. See, we look through this world and we think 
that there's so many religions, there's so many things to which to choose. But God wants us to know that in the end, as he brings this world to an end, is that he will allow to rise someone who will exalt himself above every other God. And he will perform such a great deception that everybody in the world will come flock to him except, except those who believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So we have so many of these areas, these gray areas, it seems to be so many sides. But at the end, there's only going to be two. And even now, even though we can't clearly see it, there's only two. And you're either working for Jesus, you're either working for God, or you're working against him. There's no neutrality. There's no middle ground. And so we need to decide in our life each and every day who it is that we're going to serve. So we have this victory. So we need to pick sides. But now we need to understand what true victory really is in our life. What does it truly mean to be one of his? What does it truly mean to change? And he tells the, this story. He says, you know what? When uh, a demon is cast out of somebody, anyone who experiences one of these great healings, when that demon is cast out, man, it goes through watery darkness. It goes through a desert. And it gets to warming around, and it's looking for a place to stay. And you know what? It can't find nowhere. And so it says, you know what? I think uh, I'll go back to that person I was going to, I've, I've came from. And so he comes back, and he says he finds that, that house. He finds that person. He finds that soul. And he looks around. He said, man, things are kind of straightened up. Things are kind of cleaned up. It's done, been swept up. It's been cleaned out. Everything's good. You know, none of the, the, all the damage to which I called, it's all been, been straightened out. There's all types of moral change. But the house is empty. So he says, you know what? It might be a little harder to get back up in this house. But the house is empty. So what does he do? He goes and he finds seven other demons more wicked than him. And seven is the number of totality. So I bring a total number of demons and I go take over this house again. I take over this life and I take over this heart again. And the state, that state is worse than the other. And what is he doing? He is bringing a word of message to everyone to which has experienced the work of God, the work of Jesus powerfully in Jesus's ministry. If you've had a demon cast out of you, if you've been raised up and all it has done for you is just sort of cleaned out your life, all if there is for you is just a sense of moral change and nothing has come in to replace it. If the person of Jesus Christ has not come in you to replace it, if the power of the Holy Spirit comes in to replace you, place it, then the power of Satan is able to come back and take over that life. And it produces a state that's worse than before. And it's the state of self-righteousness. It's the state of self-centeredness. It's the state of a sense of certainty 
that because you've seen God work in your life, you think you've changed, but yet you don't have Jesus and you have invited him in your heart, so you don't. And this was the state of the Pharisees. They've made a lot of great moral changes in their hearts and their life. They did all kind of things to stay away from this and that. But they haven't allowed Jesus and God to come fully in their heart. See, what we need to understand is it's not just about getting rid of the bad things in your life. It's not just about getting away, away from the things of Satan in your life. You see, when we push those things out of our hearts and our life, it leaves a void. It leaves an emptiness that needs to be filled. And if we don't fill it with a person of Jesus Christ, then we're just as empty as we are before. And Satan will one day, somehow, some way, come back and take it over, back over. Either you go back to those bad things that you used to do, or you come to even something such, so much worse a feeling of self-righteousness and self-salvation. And that's when Paul, when he teaches, he teaches this sense, and you'll see it all throughout his writings. He says, you know, do away, put off, and he lists all these things like selfishness, sexual immorality, gossip, and all these things. He said, take, up all, take off all these things, get rid of all of these things, but fill yourself. In other words, I need to throw some things out, and I need to replace them with God. I need to replace them with Jesus. And so if you truly want to be changed, it's not going to just become by moral reform, but it's going to become with Jesus entering into your heart and taking over your life. I want to ask you this morning, do you have Jesus in your heart and your life? Or have you just made some moral changes in yourself? As Jesus are taking these words, there was a woman standing in the crowd. She couldn't help but just get up and say something. You know, some people like that, they just can't be quiet. She said, blessed is the womb who bore, bore you and the breast to which you've nursed. And I guess she was thinking that there was going to come a compliment from Jesus or maybe an amen. But Jesus wanted to tell her something. It's not about what type of experience you've had in your life or what kind of great moment or what kind of power you've experienced in your heart and your life. True blessedness. And we think about blessing. Think about the Beatitudes. It means true happiness. We also think about blessedness as we're talking about it in Genesis, as we're talking about the covenant this morning, that that favor with God. So true happiness, true favor with God isn't based on what type of experiences he may has done through us or for us, but the true favor of God comes from those who hear his word and obey you. And so I ask you this morning, is the word of Christ dwelling with you richly this morning? Is the Holy Spirit dwelling within you this morning? Or have you just made a few changes, a few moral changes and reforms in your life? What Jesus demands for us 
is true victory only comes when we allow the Son of God to come inside our hearts, in our lives, and in our homes and take them over. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray, Lord, during this morning, we recognize for who you truly was and truly is. Not just a moral teacher, not just a worker of miracles, but he was truly the way, the truth, and the life. And I pray, Lord, that we all have him in our hearts this morning. That is really making the true changes in our hearts and lives from the inside out. And that we dedicate ourselves this morning to pick our sides. To not be divided on which side we're going to be on. But truly, just like Joshua, to decide that as for me, I'm going to wholeheartedly, sincerely serve the Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand. 448.